Awesome. Hey, we are so glad you're here this weekend. And as you just saw, um, I think it's really incredible that we get to write songs from within our community for our community and then release them to the church as, as, as a whole. And I think this night of worship is gonna be really special, so I'm gonna encourage you to sign up to come. You can do that by simply texting the word music to 72020 and reserve a spot. It's free, but we wanna make sure everyone has a seat, so I encourage you to do that. But this weekend, um, we are wrapping up our series on relationships, talking about touch. We're talking about touch this weekend, and I thought, what better person to invite in this, into this topic and in the conversation than the person that I touch the most, my there's, wife? You there's know? just <laughs> so much touching. So much touching going on, yes, yeah. So it's just an honor to be here. I'm so thankful that we just get to unpack this topic because I know how important it is. It is, and I think adding a female voice on this topic is really, really important. And I wanna remind you what we've been doing in this series. We've been doing what Philippians 2.5 says, we've read this every week, that in our relationships with one another, we're gonna take on the same mindset as Christ Jesus. And many of us need a mindset shift when it comes to our relationships. And I can't think of any topic that many of us in our culture today need a perspective change on than the topic of touch. And especially when it comes to sex. We've been using a model called the Relationship Attachment Model developed by Dr. John Epp, and he, um, he, in this model, he shows us there's five bonds to every relationship. He shows us through scripture and empirical science. He's proven it out. It's his life's work. And it's these five bonds that we get to know someone and trust someone and rely on someone, and there's a commitment, and then there's touch. And the beauty of this is this is the progression every new relationship needs to take if you want it to be healthy, that you don't jump one of these before you've, you've moved up in the other one. And it's also the balance we need in all of our relationships, especially marriages, that we balance these over time because they can easily get out of balance. And today, when we talk about this area of touch, I want you to know touch is not just sex. Now we'll get to sex, we're gonna get into sex in, in just a moment, but I want you to know this as we start off. In every close relationship, friendships, family, and especially obviously in marriage, if you're taking notes today, there is a life-giving power that happens with human touch, with touch. And every study shows this. It's, it's actually amazing. One of my favorites is in the, in the early 1900s, um, doctors could not understand why um, orphans that were born as, as infants, um, but they were orphaned and put in an orphanage alone or maybe a nursery alone, they couldn't understand why the mortality rate was so high. In some studies, the mortality rate with orphans that were left alone was, was pushing 90 plus percent. I mean, with babies dying at such a high rate, doctors begin to dive in like, what's going on? And what they found is that these babies lacked human touch and it was deadly. And even the research they learned back then, we still carry over till today because what's one of the first things when a newborn baby is born, what do we do with that newborn baby? We immediately put them on the chest of a mom because there's power in touch. Almost every study shows that a lack of human touch over time will lead to mood disorders, anxiety disorders, depression, and so much of the mental health challenges that, that we're dealing with. And when I hear that, I, I think to myself, isn't it interesting that the last few years we've removed so much physical touch, handshaking, hugs, for physical protection, and here we are as a society dealing with mental health issues like never before and spiritual emptiness. Is that not interesting? 
One of my favorite studies, though, went on, and, and it was a University of Berkeley did a study where researchers, get this, researchers watched every single NBA game during the 2008-2009 season, every game, and they tracked every single touch with every player on every team while they were on the court. So they tracked, you know, high five, you know, fist bumps, you know, chest bumps, they, that a boy, you know, way to go. They tracked, whoa, okay, all right, I'm starting early, I got it, I like it. Um, they, they tracked every touch, and here's what they found. The teams that had the most touches during the first half of the season always had better records in the second half of the season. Now, Jesus shows us this. When we dive into Scripture, he shows us the power of touch. Because Jesus, when he came upon someone that was hurting or he needed to be healed, he could have just said, well, you're, you're healed, and they're all good. But Jesus would often touch them because he knew the power of touch. And actually five times in the New Testament, did you know we're told when we gather together as, as Christians, when we gather together in the church, we're told to do this. Greet each other with a holy kiss. And we've never done that at CCD. I thought, well, this would be a good weekend to start. Just turn to the person next to you. I'm kidding, don't. That'd be, be weird, you know, be weird. Just understand that, hey, this was a different culture, but even back then, it was the power of touch. In some cultures, it, was just, it wasn't a kiss like you're thinking. It was just like, you know, a kiss on the cheek like some cultures practice today. Um, and for us, that'd be more like a high five or a fist bump, right, for us. But, but all I want you to see up front is there is power in human touch. And when it comes to sex, as we know, there is no form of touch that has more power, both for good and unfortunately sometimes for bad. And I think um, teaching on this, we recognize some of the closest people to us have been abused. They have scars and wounds from their past that are real. And Ashley and I, um, we have just such a heart for this because we see the brokenness that it causes. And just what we wanted you to know today is that um, we have incredible pastors on all of our campuses and they have resources for you and they're um, ready to just make those available. So at any time, um, just feel, to re feel yeah. free to just reach out and take advantage of this. we know the stats. Uh, you know, one in four people today have been abused in their past. Yeah. And if that's you, we're just telling you, please get help because we want to help you. Yeah, and if, but if you're married today, we know sex can be a battleground and um, it's one of the top two things that couples fight about the most. And in fact, Ashley and I would openly say, and we've said this before, um, it is, other than finances, it is the number one thing that we fought about most early on in our marriage. I mean, it, it was a battleground, you guys. And, and really, to be honest, part of the issue was I felt like a piece of meat early on, okay? Um, <laughs> It was just like all the time. I wanted to tell Jamie, I'm a person too, you know? I'm a person too, you know? <laughs> yeah. No one believes that. They really don't. They, they really don't. don't. They, yeah, don't. they, they really don't. don't. So right up front, we just want you to know, we do not claim to be sex therapists. We won't answer every question. We're gonna make some pretty broad generalizations. Some of those might fully apply to you, and some of those may not. Mm. And so um, please just give us some grace as we talk about a really um, tricky subject, but we're just feel compelled that at the end of the day, what we want you to do is just open a conversation. Um, because our impression is this. Most couples think this is off limits, too personal, dirty, not allowed in church. But what we know is that's a huge mistake because the Bible talks so much about sex. We should be talking about it in church and especially at home in our marriages. That's right, and if you, if you ever think to yourself, well, maybe the Bible doesn't really talk about sex, so why are we talking about it in church? I just want you to know the Bible talks about sex all, I mean, it really has a lot to say about it. 
In fact, I would just say this, in the opening pages of scripture, Genesis, when God creates Adam and Eve, what's the first command he gives to Adam and Eve? To have sex, to be fruitful and multiply. Think about that. And I wanna look at Jamie and go, that should be our first command too. You know, I'm the first command of our marriage. You know, <laughs> kidding. But did you know in, in scripture, <laughs> I'm kidding. In scripture, there's actually a whole book on sex. It's almost a sex manual, it's called Song of Solomon, and it was, it was written to give us some wisdom on sex and to see what it, what it looks like to have the beauty of this in a relationship, and, and it, it, it's so erotic, this book. In fact, a Hebrew boys were not allowed to read Song of Solomon until they reached a certain age, and I laugh at that, because I'm just picturing in my mind like these little Hebrew boys like sneaking into the, the room to pull the scroll out of, of Song of Solomon and be like, whoa, you know, it's like this. You're thinking like, is it, is it really like that erotic? Well, let me just read you a little bit so we can, we can see this. Song of Solomon, chapter seven, verse seven through 12 says, this is a husband talking to his wife. Your beauty within and without is absolute dear lover, close companion. You're tall and supple like a palm tree. You're thinking like, that's sweet, but it's not sexual. <laughs> Keep reading. <laughs> and your full breasts are like sweet clusters of dates. And I say to myself, I will climb that palm tree. Yes, I will. And I'm gonna climb a palm tree, I'm gonna caress its fruit. Whoa. Oh yes, your breasts will be like clusters of sweet fruit to me. I mean, there's, there's more, and I promise you it will make you blush, right? Okay, realize this is a different culture, and I, ju I just feel like I need to say it. Men. Do not, are you listening? I'm listening. Okay. Do not compare your wife's breast to a cluster of dates. <laughs> yeah, it's good. It, and also this. Good pillow talk does not include saying, hey, baby, I want to climb your tree. Dang it. Dang no. it. Okay. Don't that, do that. That may be worth you coming today just, just for that advice, right? When we look biblically, the first thing we see, if you're taking notes today, is this. This is all over scripture. Sex is good. I think sometimes in, in church, there's an impression somehow that, it, that it's not. But we know this, but God created sex with boundaries. And we won't talk um, a ton to those of you who are dating or wanting to date. Um, we did a whole Instagram Live, it was really fun, mm -hmm. on this a couple weeks ago, so that's still available, but we will say this. God created sex to be enjoyed within the boundary of marriage, this, this boundary is purely for your benefit. So, so many people today uh, treat sex as just physical, and it's not. We know that science tells us that it physically bonds you, emotionally, spiritually, and what I'm so excited for you to unpack in just a couple minutes is really, it rewires your brain chemistry. I just think it's so powerful. Um, in the relationship attachment model, why God designed sex and marriage is to happen after these four bonds, especially commitment. And I think as we see this, it just makes so much sense. So you have to ask yourself, do you really want to be bonded with someone you don't know, trust, rely, and certainly hasn't commit, committed to you? Um, and some of you, you know, you've bonded with someone who you haven't committed to. It's your boyfriend or your girlfriend. And before, before you're married, it's why you know this person is not good for you. It's why your family has said it, your friends have said it, and you can't seem to 
break that off, and it is because you've bonded before you've committed. And I know it's just so hard for everyone, and let me be very clear. This is, what, this is the power in this. If your boyfriend or girlfriend does not value and respect your boundaries outside of marriage, you cannot then expect them to value you, respect you, and create worth that God has put in you inside of marriage. If you can't do it outside, he, will not, he or she will not do it inside. So you deserve that. God intended that for you. That is his best, that is his best for you and his full plan for you. And I know when I was, when I was dating in high school and I was 18, I messed, it. I messed these, um, these bonds up. I did one before the other. I did not do it as God intended. And um, it was in that season of my life that I made a change. And I really put God first in this area of my life. And here's what I know and here's what I found that when I broke it off and I trusted the Lord in a way that I had never had, he began to reveal in me to trust him in so many other ways that I never had. Yeah. It was really powerful. I think that's actually when we met. Yeah. You know, and so I think there's power when you really trust God, when you know you've messed something up and you know a relationship isn't right, to break it off. Just understand, I, I think thinking about sex as a bond is the way to think about it because I wanna show you the biology behind the theology and why God says what he does. Every time you have sex, there are three chemicals that flood your brain and mind and do things to you, okay? The first is dopamine. Dopamine is a neurotransmitter that is actually referred to as the pleasure molecule. It literally bonds you to someone with dopamine. Now, dopamine's the same drug that's actually released in your body if you took an illegal drug like ecstasy. But with ecstasy and illegal drugs, you get the letdown effect afterwards. With sex, when dopamine floods your mind, the dopamine stays there a little bit more consistently. It doesn't, you don't get the letdown effect, which means you're bonded, which means that's why you keep coming back to someone over and over again. You've literally bonded yourself. That's what dopamine does. Now the second chemical that gets released in your brain during sex is something called vasopressin. Now this is really interesting because vasopressin is actually affects both male and female brains, but because vasopressin interacts with testosterone, what we know is it actually affects the male brain more than it does the female brain. And this has been called the monogamy molecule because what vasopressin does to our bodies and our minds is it not only creates a bonding, it helps exclusivity. They've studied animals that actually have one mate for life, and they've actually had a drug that suppresses vasopressin in that animal's mind, and when they suppress vasopressin, an animal that mates with one other animal for life will leave his mate and go cheat with someone else. And when they take the vasopressin levels back up to normal levels, the animal will actually come back to his mate that he had for life. I mean, think about the power of this in sex. Think about that. Some of you know some men who could ha use a little shot of vasopressin, right? Yeah. Now, the other drug that happens in, our, in our, our brains is oxytocin. And what this does is this affects both male and females as well, but it affects the female brain more than males. This is the same drug that gets released, floods the brain when a woman has a baby. What it does is it creates a bonding and a, a caring and a, a closeness effect 
And that's why for women, there's so much, you know, they feel so close to someone. There's, there's, there's almost a desire to snuggle. You, know, you hear this after, after sex. It, it, it creates closeness. But when you look at these three drugs, isn't it interesting what's happening to our bodies? It's not just physical. There's something more going on that's bonds. And I think it's interesting that God created one of these chemicals that affects a man's brain more that creates with bonding and monogamy, and he did one that affects a female brain more to create bonding and monogamy. And you might say, well, gosh, I mean, is that God or is that just biology? Let me put it this way. God created you and he created everything about you, so this is God's design of what's happening. And what happens is during a marriage, these things being released, it's beautiful. It bonds you together. Outside of marriage, it's so crazy dangerous. What we know from, forget the Bible for a second, because science backs up what the Bible says, that hey, avoid having sex outside of marriage. What we know now from science is, is premarital sex does three things. Go look the research up for yourself. One is it increases your risk for divorce. You have premarital sex. You are three times more likely to have a divorce. Number two, it increases your chances of infidelity in marriage. And that might make sense because if, if you can't have some self-control outside of marriage, then maybe someone you're with is not gonna have the self-control inside of marriage. I mean, the marriage is, is, a, is, a, is a, you have to have self-control all the time in marriage. And the third thing it does, and this one breaks my heart, people don't realize is that when you have premarital sex, it decreases your odds of having a, a gratifying sexual life inside of marriage. Do you know today, statistically, who the least satisfied people are sexually having sex? It's those cohabitating with someone outside of marriage. They are the least satisfied sexually. Go look it up for yourself. You wanna know who the most satisfied people are sexually? People in a monogamous marriage. And I think that's amazing because it backs up what God says. God's like, I want you to have great sex. So do it my way and then you can have the greatest sex ever. And so many people push back on this and the reason they push back is because they think, that just seems so old fashioned. It just seems so old fashioned, Ashley. And I wanna say, if, if having an awesome marriage and amazing sex is old fashioned, sign me up. I'll take that. And again, some of the pushbacks something like this. Well, yeah, but shouldn't you, shouldn't you test drive the car before you buy it? <laughs> no. No. Do you think marriage is like buying a car? Do you understand when you buy a car, it's designed to be used and then you replace it? Is that what you want in your marriage? And test driving a car, do you understand, you can test drive a car and give it back and never think about it again. We know from the biology, you don't get to do that with sex. The biggest lie our culture tells us is sex is just physical. And that is a lie from Satan himself. It bonds you to someone in the most powerful way. And that's why over 2,000 years ago, listen to scripture. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 16 through 18 says, there's more to sex than mere skin to skin. It is not just physical. Don't ever buy that lie. Sex is as much spiritual mystery as physical fact. As written in scripture, the two become one. When you have sex with someone, you become one with them. And if you leave someone in premarital sex, you, you give a piece of yourself to that person. He goes on to say this, since we want to become spiritually one with the master, we must pursue the kind of sex that avoids 
commitment and intimacy. In other words, don't have sex before there's a commitment of marriage. That's the way God designed it. Otherwise, what? It's leaving us more lonely than ever. And some of you here today, you are having sex outside of marriage and you are so lonely and empty. And you know it. And it's because you're doing things outside of God's design. That kind of sex can never become one. It's what you want. He goes on to say, there, there, in a sense, there's, there's a sense in which sexual sins are different from all other sins, and that's what scripture says. This, other translations of this verse say, all other sins are different than sexual sins. Because when you sin sexually, you sin against your own body, which is the temple of God, where, where, where you want Jesus to reside. And so in sexual sin, we violate the sacredness of our own bodies, and that's why this, this idea of sexual sin, it, it's so powerful. It really is. So what we wanna do uh, for just a minute is now that we've talked about the biology uh, of sex, we wanna talk about some really practical theology. Like if that's what's happening to our bodies inside of marriage, how can we look at the practical theology of great sex in marriage? And we wanna get super practical today. Um, how do you turn in marriage what is oftentimes a battleground with so many couples, like they fight over this all the time, how can you turn it from a battleground to a playground, <laughs> because you can. And we're given a piece of advice right after I, that verses I just, I read you in 1 Corinthians chapter six, in 1 Corinthians chapter seven, Paul gives us a template on how to do this in our marriage. I hope you let this, this, these verses just sink into your heart today. Listen to, what, listen to what Paul says, this is God speaking to us. Paul says, now getting down to the questions you asked me in your letter, the church in Corinth had written Paul and said, we have some questions, especially about sex. They had questions like we do. Their first question was this. Hey, uh, Paul says, first you asked me, is it good to have sex? Certainly. <laughs> Paul, that's right. Paul says, <laughs> say it out loud, say it out loud. What, what's he say? Certainly. Certainly. You better believe it's good to have sex. But watch this. But only in a certain context. It's good for a man to have a wife and a woman to have a husband. In other words, sex is designed for marriage. That's the only context. Sexual drives are strong, amen? Yeah, they are. But marriage is strong enough to contain them and provide for a balance of fulfilling sexual life in a world of sexual disorder. We think our world's disordered sexually. Their world was just as disordered. And Paul is saying marriage is the place where man's sex can be good. Then he goes on to say this. The marriage bed must be a place of mutuality. Remember that word. The husband seeking to satisfy his wife and the wife seeking to satisfy her husband I love this. Marriage is not a place to stand up for your rights. Marriage is a decision to serve the other, whether in bed or out of it. Hey, Paul, should we ever, like, not have sex? Paul says, let me, let me address that, too. Abstaining from sex is permissible for a period of time if both of you agree and if it's for the purpose of prayer and fasting, and that's it. In other words, if you're like, we're gonna take a break from sex, it's only if you both agree and you're like, we're gonna enter a time of prayer and fasting. That's it. But then Paul says this, oh, come back together again and do it quick. Why? Because if you're not having sex in your marriage, watch what he says. Satan has an ingenious way of tempting us when we least expect it. When you're not having sex, even think about the biology of your brain, you are tempting, there's temptation happening. So these verses provide us four things that are a template 
for going from a battleground to a playground, okay? Here's, here's number one, it's so clear. Sex is only designed for the context of marriage. Scripture is clear. Number two, abstaining from sex and marriage, no bueno. <laughs> because Paul says it's only permissible to abstain from sex when you both agree on a time of prayer and fasting. Maybe we're not spiritual enough, um, but in our entire 22 years of marriage, I don't think we've ever done this. We've never entered it this time, and maybe I'm just not spiritual enough, you know, that we haven't like, you know, we haven't entered this time of prayer and fasting. But I would like to propose today, before everyone, that we try it. I, I'm just not feeling it. I'm not feeling that right now. You know, maybe, maybe with this. Now remember what Paul said, he's just, he's just offering not a command, he's offering a concession to say, if you ever need to take a break, like the only time to take a break is really for prayer and fasting. Now I only know one person in my life that's ever done this. Actually Dave Stone who preached last weekend, one of, my, one of my best friends, he was telling me a story one time, he said, you know, this was years ago, the church he was pastoring at, they were getting ready to launch a, a new building they'd been building and, and leading up to this building, they were so excited about it, um, they wanted to pray and fast for it and so his wife said, you know, they, they agreed, well, well in our time of prayer and fasting we're not gonna have sex for, for a few weeks and so they did that and Dave was like, it was difficult, you know. And uh, the day the building was opening was the day he got to be back in business again, if you know what I mean. And um, a, a TV news reporter showed up um, to put him on TV and they put the microphone in his face and they said, are you so excited for this building to open up? And Dave looked back and he's like, you have no idea. <laughs> um, but this is the only person I know. Yeah, right? uh, man, I love the Stones. Um, but of course. Here's the reality. We know that there will be times when you have to abstain. That's, you know, after you've had a baby, yeah. if you have a medical issue. But here's the point. Those dealing with long-term medical issues, we know that is hard. Um, however, you must make this a priority to resolve. What we're learning about bonding, you must make this a priority in your marriage to resolve. Go see a doctor, get help, do everything you can to try to, and resolve this so you can have the bond that God intended. Right. Um, and what, what this also does spiritually to connect you is it says your needs, and this bond is so important, mm -hmm. I am going to do everything I can to make it a priority, you a priority, and that does something in your marriage. Yeah. I know it has for us. Yeah, and whether it's a medical issue or there's some other issue that's causing a divide in you in this area, Go get help because you need to prioritize this. Um, what Paul says to us is he says, in, in, in the bedroom, you're there to serve each other. It's not a place to stand up for your rights and say, yeah. This is a place to serve each other. And many of us may need some work in serving each other because what we know from all the studies is that the number one conflict with sex in marriage is frequency. You know this, right? It's almost like quiet, like, oh, he knows. Yeah, we, yeah. What, 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 what we know, let's just shoot straight, is that in a, in a marriage, there's one of you that's gonna have a higher frequency need than the other one. I, I've just, I'm almost never met a marriage that they're like right on the same page. And so, as, as I've already shared, you know, in our marriage, Jamie's the one that has a way higher frequency than I do, you know? Um, no, you know that's not true, okay? It's not true. Um, I am the one that has a higher frequency need. And, you know, what, what we've just found is that this takes a lot of conversation then for you to figure this out. Like, hey, what, what should we do? And our advice when it comes to this idea of frequency, this is our advice to you, is that when it comes to frequency, agree on a weekly goal, strive to meet it, 
And don't be legalistic. Yeah, because you're not going to have the same frequency needs. That I mean, like, I don't know anybody who, like, just goes into marriage and agrees on the same exact frequency. But what we found, what just helps facilitate a conversation, is that you lean in the direction of the one who's higher. Now, say um, that again real quick, because it's like, hey, you're, you're going to, no, no, I, I don't mean that. I'm just saying, you're going to have this conversation, yeah. right, where, like, one of you is going to be higher, and you're going to say, well, how do we compromise? And we've just found, hey, compromise and lean in the direction. You don't have to right. lean fully, but just lean in the direction if you're compromising the person that's going to have a higher need. Because here's what, here's what I've found. You can't go wrong with having more sex than less sex, right? I don't know. I like when you preach. I like when you <laughs> preach. Yeah. I don't know of any, any, of the, like, any of the super strong marriages that I know of. They're not like, you know what? After all these years, what we should have done, we should have had less sex. Yeah, Nobody insane. says that. It's just very practically, but almost everyone says, even us, like, we should have made this more of a priority sooner than yeah. later. Yeah. So we've worked, we've worked incredibly hard to, with conversation after conversation to really decide on a frequency that works for us. Mm -hmm. And um, that's everyone's question is like, what's the magic number to a great marriage? And there is no magic number. There, this is why God create, create, put you two together to become one, mm. to work on a schedule that works for you. But everybody wants to know, like, where should I start? So we're just gonna share our number, and our number is seven. <laughs> oh, no, wow. it's not seven. <laughs> I heard you say it. I'm, I, I'm, gonna write, I'm writing this down right now. Like, <laughs> I don't want to say never, but I feel like never. Yeah. No. Yeah. Really, ours is two to three times a week. And does it always happen two to three times a week? Life is crazy. No. Does it happen most weeks? Yes. And um, why, why do we think finding a frequency is so hard? It is because God made us so different. And we have to recognize and celebrate our differences. And the issue isn't always frequency. The issue is one person surrendering to the other person. And, and just don't dismiss each other. And, and I just want to say one thing on that. When, when we say that's our number, we are not saying that should be your number. Please hear that. You need to come up with your own and some of you are like, it'll be a lot higher. God bless America to you, you know, like way to go, you know? But some of you, it, it's gonna be less. And that's, listen, there's not a magic number. You just come together and say, what works for our marriage? Yeah, because here's why. Sex needs to be a place of mutuality. Mm. Both of you serving one another. Yes, because what we know is 75% of couples are not experiencing a mutually satisfying sex life. They're not appreciating each other's differences. And we've used this analogy before. You've heard it before, but it's just so good when it comes to sex. Men are like microwaves, man. And women can be like crockpots. What's that mean? Say that. Because that's like, what does that even mean? Because you're calling me a hot pocket? Like, what are you calling me? I don't even understand what you mean, you know? What I'm saying is you're a hot pocket. Oh, okay, I'll take yeah. that. Yeah, and uh, listen, men just get, we know men get warm, in general, mm -hmm. men get warmed up quicker. And what you need to know is women need non-sexual affection to be turned on sexually. And I think when, you, when a lot of guys hear non-sexual affection, they're like, because we are so physically oriented as guys, like non-sexual affection, what does that even mean? It means exactly what it, what, it's, what it says. It's like that can be holding, holding her hand, um, giving a hug, giving a kiss, snuggling, not expecting it to go anywhere. Ooh. 
right? I mean, this is, women need the, the, the non-sexual affection and emotional connection with you. That's what leads them to oftentimes be warmed up for sex. And again, they're more like crock boxes. This is, this is why, you know, sex doesn't always start in the bedroom, guys. Sex can start in the kitchen in the morning with a kiss or a handhold. It can start, you know, with, a, with something that you do for your wife. You know, this, this is, it just took me so long to learn this. I feel like I'm still learning because it's so unnatural for a lot of guys. I remember one time, I've told this story, but one time Jamie and I, um, things heated up in the bedroom pretty quick and she was initiating and I was like, whoa, like what happened? Like where'd that come from? You know, like, and she goes, well, you remember earlier tonight, you, you were cleaning out the dishwasher without me asking? I was like, that turns you on? Now I'm like, do the dishwasher need to be unloaded at any time? Like, I am ready and willing. You know, I mean, it just took me so long to learn this. You know, and I, I clean out the dishwasher all the time now. Yeah, I wish that was true. <laughs> I wish that was true. Uh, women, uh, while that's true, here's what we know about our men. Um, they need to be wanted and pursued to be emotionally and sexually fulfilled. It's just true. And as much as we want to be pursued romantically, um, he wants to be pursued sexually, and we have to embrace his visual nature. We know God created him in a specific way with a specific purpose, and that is visual. He wants, listen, he wants to see you naked. It's just the facts. He's turned on visually and is fueled by your pursuit in this area of him. So for ladies, let me just ask you a question. Has your husband ever gotten out of the shower, stood proudly, and you say, Wow, so glad I got to see all that. <laughs> um, I cannot think of it, 22 years yeah. this weekend. I cannot think of a time in those 22 years where I wanted to look at his body the way he wanted to look at mine. Men, True. okay, here's, here's where you have to interact a little bit. Here's a question for you. Men, how many who are married, how many of you would like to see your wife naked? Yeah. I, see, gonna, I see some hands like, shoot up, like, yes. Yeah, we, yes. Had, we had another yes. guy in another service stand up. Yeah, yeah. He's like, I do. I was like, I see you. I and see I, you right I feel like I want to ask the women this, that question, but I'm not going to. <laughs> so, when I, but listen, when, I, when we first got married, I, I honestly thought there was something wrong with my husband. I, like he was broken, and I treated him that way until I realized God designed him visual mm. on purpose, and the only thing that I needed to change actually about this whole scenario was my perspective. It was my job to understand and honor our differences, embrace them, and celebrate them as God intended. So here's how I word it. If you give your husband confidence in the bedroom, he will absolutely have confidence in the boardroom. Those two things are connected. Yeah, and it's just part of the biology. I know for me, when things are good in this department, I have, I mean, it puts confidence inside me. I feel like I can go conquer the world. And when things aren't good here, you know, sometimes it really kills a guy's confidence. And, and what we know is, is because God designed us so differently, the risk for us is this, is that oftentimes women can treat men as broken. Like, why, does he, why is he so different than me in how he approaches this? He's not broken, that's how God designed him. And guys, what we can do is sometimes we can treat women as objects. Like they are not just 
objects, guys. They are women to be loved and cherished and to meet their needs the way they want their needs to be met, not the way we would, we would do it. Remember, the idea, Paul says, is it's mutuality. The bedroom is a place to serve each other. And I just wanna speak to guys just for a second. What we know, guys, is it's not hard in the bedroom for us to find pleasure sexually. I mean, it happens quick. But for women, it sometimes is more difficult. And that's why it's our job as guys to study them, to talk with them, to understand them. And if you wanna go further, if you're struggling, you want some resources on this, there's a book called Sheet Music by Dr. Kevin Lehman. We've read it a few times. It is unbelievable. It is PG-13 and maybe more, okay? It's gonna help you in a big way in this area. But remember, we are there to serve each other. And the last thing these scriptures tell us that Paul gave us is this, is that you have to keep talking and growing in this area to avoid temptation. And I think couples don't talk about this enough because it can get awkward, then it gets tense, and then we fight and we have to find just non-emotional, like just settle down, let's have a conversation on this so we can get this right. Because if you don't keep growing, Satan will keep tempting. And you know what we're told from scripture is that when, when you don't invest in this sex life and, and you're bonding with each other, you're giving Satan an open door for temptation in your marriage. And I'll say this as clearly as I can. If, if there's someone here today that in your marriage you're withholding sex, Please understand, you're sending a starving person out into a world that's a food court. And there's buffet lines, and there's free samples being held, handed out in our world all the time. You look at like what's happening with pornography and other issues, and, and please hear me, if there's some issue keeping you back, whether, and maybe the, the issue is pornography that you found, maybe the issue is infidelity, maybe the issue is a medical issue, Get help working on those so you can come back together and be bonded in marriage because this is something that matters. And what we like to say is this. It takes a lot more than sex to have a strong marriage, but it is nearly impossible to have a strong, bonded marriage and relationship without it. Mm -hmm. It's just how God designed it. Yeah, we have a young adult daughter who's about to graduate college, and we're so proud of her. And one night recently, over Christmas break, we had a conversation about relationships, dating, marriage. Um, and it's so cool when you get to this life stage with your kids because you get to really see what you have given to them that mattered, what you taught, what you role modeled. And it's just kind of fun to unpack what actually mattered. And here's what she said to us. She said, um, she said, listen, of all the things, you know, you taught me the Bible, you taught me finances, of all the things, here's what mattered the most. What mattered the most was that I saw my parents touching each other all the time, whether that was a hug from work, a snuggle on the couch, holding hands in the car, whenever we didn't have to, she saw that. Mm -hmm. She said, because here's what it said. It said, my parents love each other. Even when my life, her life was falling apart and crumbling, she knew she could come home and, and see, my parents love each other and they will be waiting for me together. And that was so powerful to her and I had no idea. Yeah. And I think what we've realized after talking through that conversation, we think that was, I don't know what was first, the non-sexual or the sexual, but I know they are for sure connected. Yeah. We think that a lot of our like touching and snuggling is, it's just an overflow from having 
you know, a, a good sex life that overflows into other areas, but then also all that snuggling and touching, non-sexual affection plays into trying to play into yeah. having a great sex yeah. life. And, here, and here's, why that's, here's why that's so interesting is I did not grow up in a family where we had much physical touch. It wasn't, I was, it was an awesome family, but it wasn't, we had like a daily hug or a kiss. Like I knew, I knew I was loved, but it just wasn't part of our family culture. Ashley, on the other hand, he grew up in a family that hugged and they like just did this kind of stuff all the time. They just, you know, rubbed each other's arms and back. They just, that's what they did. It was in their family culture. And um, so early on in our marriage, he was asking me to like rub his back every day. (laughs) And I was like, what is happening? And then I realized this is all his mom's fault. And it was really so bad that um, I swear to you, I did not sleep for the six months of our marriage because he would sleep like this right next, next to, to me. Right next to and I, I couldn't sleep like that. So you know what I did? I just bought a bigger mattress. <laughs> we did. Yeah. And then I started it didn't sleeping. stop me. I it was still like, I know. But it helped me. I could get a little space. But slowly, here's what I realized. He needs touch and I need touch. Mm. And even if our world is fully crumbling around us, which it does. Here's what I know. It affirms what our daughter has observed for all of these years, that I'm here, I'm not going anywhere, and I love you. Love too, yeah. And we, we just know that this has become something in our relationship we have to keep working on. Yeah. We have to keep working on it, and you know, we, we just want this for you so much. Mm-hmm. We want this bonding to happen the way God designed it. So we're gonna give you a little homework today. If you're, if you're single here today, I wanna challenge you to, if you haven't picked up the book we've been recommending, How to Avoid Falling in Love with a Jerk, um, it's really good. It goes deeper on this topic even for how to really handle yourself in a dating relationship. And I'm just gonna issue this challenge um, to you as well. If you're single and you wanna get married and date, I'm gonna say this, to have the best sex in marriage, commit to abstain outside of it. And I know that is not what the culture is telling you today. And I will not bend to culture. I will bend to God's word to teach you God's best. Because if you wanna have great sex someday, do it God's way. And even if you've messed up, God can redeem that if you start being obedient today. Okay, that's my issue for, 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 for singles. My challenge for married couples is this. I want you to get a date night this week and I want you to answer two questions. And don't do this when you're mad. <laughs> Don't do this when you're mad. Two questions, ready? Question number one is, what are some things I do that, that get you in the mood, right? And you might be surprised. Dishwasher, naked. That's very different, <laughs> all right? That is very different. You might be surprised. Here's question number two, and this is kind of where it gets real, and you need to have this conversation if you haven't. What is, a, what is an ideal frequency on a weekly basis for us? If you're off, like, just compromise. Remember compromise and don't be a legalist. If, and, and what you do, you're gonna do is you're gonna agree on a range, remember, and you're gonna strive to meet it. Now, if it doesn't happen one week, you don't go to someone and go, we didn't, it didn't happen. You said we were gonna do it. You know, we're... <laughs> Listen, just, you just don't be a legalist. You're, you're striving, right? You're striving to do this. And, and the way we're gonna end today is we're gonna say the last thing we want you to do if you're married is get started tonight, okay? Get started to, tonight. Someone's gonna ask you, what was the takeaway from church? Get busy. Busy, it's the kind of church you're a part of, right? Hey, grab the person's hand next to you if you're in a relationship. We wanna pray for you. Father, we thank you for your word on this topic. And I know there's singles today that are hurting 
because they know they haven't followed your plan. And I pray you give them grace and show them your love and know that there's redemption if they commit to doing it your way. I pray for the married couples today that this is a battleground. They've just fought so much over it because they're just not on the same page. And I pray that you bring them together like never before, give some life-changing conversations to them so they can honor you and be bonded with the gift of sex. Father, for all of us, help us to follow your word, not our culture. We pray all this in Jesus' name, amen. amen. Hey, thanks for joining me. Love you. Okay, we love you guys. Have a great weekend.